over these wonderful, wonderful students as they venture into the next chapter of their life, whether it's into the career field or it's into college, know that God is always going to be with you. And I wrote each one of you a letter, and in the letter, it has one of my favorite verses. It says, Psalm 71, 14 says, but as for me, I will always have hope and I will praise you more and more. And I think that there's going to be times in your life where you're just going to have to lean on your worship. You're going to have to lean on your praise. You're going to have to say, hey, even though it may not seem hopeful in this moment, I will have hope. You have hope because you know the Lord. And you know that he can open any door and fix any issue that's in your life. So would you stretch your hands this way uh, as we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, God, I just pray over each one of these families. God, over each one of these students that you're anointing, that your presence would be on them. God, begin to open doors in their life that no man can shut. Begin to shut doors in their life that no man can open. God, provide for them in every way, both financially, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. God, I pray that you would cover them. We cover them in your protection as they enter into this world. But Lord, we believe that the best is yet to come. That the best is yet to come for them, for those to come behind them. That ministry will be started through these families and through these students. And God, we pray a prayer of blessing over them today. We love you and we praise you. And all God's people said, one more time, can you give it up for our graduates this year? Hey, would you give a hand to Pastor Ben and Emily for leading our kids, families, and students? Pastor Ben's got dad on the brain, and you can see why. Not but a few more days. Hey, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. You could be anywhere in the world, but the fact that you chose to worship with us today means the world to us. You made our day when you walked through the door. I want you to turn with me to the book of John, chapter 17, and we're going to dive into part three of our series, Better Together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to worship you today in spirit and truth. And I pray as we dive into your word, I pray that your word would be a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. God, teach us today. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And we're going to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody says, amen. Give the person to your left a big high five. The person to your right a big high five and say, I'm so glad you're here. Would you do that? Encourage somebody with your words. So today, we honored the class of 2018, and I couldn't help but think back when I graduated from high school back in 02, um, 1902, <laughs> that's what it feels like, right? Now, I graduated in 93, for those of you who are wondering, and for those of you who didn't do well in math, that makes me 43, but I, 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 I tell you, I thought a lot about that season in my life, and maybe because my daughter's graduating, I've been, been very contemplative over the last several weeks and months, and, and I remember that transition from going from my small high school in Plymouth, North Carolina, that small farm community, I would use the rural word, but I can't say it, rural, I don't know how to say the word, rural, that's a hard word to say, but, but we grew up in this small town, and then I had to transition from that small farm community in Plymouth, North Carolina, to the big whopping city of Wilmington, and to me, it was just like, wow, this place is, is huge, at a Walmart and everything, I mean, it was just like, it was, it was huge, and, and what I learned in that moment is that my circle growing up was very small. Very small. I had a very small circle. And I spent a lot of time with people who were just like me. Same socioeconomic status, same neighborhood, 
most likely Christian, right? These, these were people that were Christians. This was a small circle. I spent a lot of time with, with, with Christian people. In fact, my dad would always say, son, we don't, we don't cuss, smoke, drink, or chew. We don't hang around with girls that do, right? That was kind of how you, my circle was small, okay? And, and, and it was, it, here's what's really funny. Um, pretty much everybody that, that grew up in, in my town, um, in, in the Bible Belt was probably Baptist, most everybody in that area, except those who went to our church, the Church of God. Um, but this is going to be strange to you. I never met a Catholic person until I went to college. I had never actually seen a Catholic person. I wasn't sure they were real. I thought it was a myth and, and, or like a character on TV, right? And I remember one of my, my sweet mates in, in, in college, he was Catholic, and I was like, wow, I've never seen one. It was like it was so, so strange. My world was so, so really small. And, and for, that, for that matter, most of the time we spent our time with people that were of our same race, right? Our, our world was, was very small. And growing up in that small town, like, I had, like, run-ins with division and, and racism and some of those things. But really, those were isolated instances for the most part. Like, we just kind of grew up with a lot of bias in our lives. And, and the town that I grew up in, my student body, I got thinking about this week, was about 70% black, about 28% white, about 2% Hispanic. And even though we traveled together and we had class together and we were in the band together, yes, I was in the band, and, and we worked together, that was really about as far as it went. It was a very small world. We were very comfortable with people who were just like us. And the reality is most of us did the exact same thing, no matter whether you grew up in a small town or a big city, because we're just comfortable with people who were just like us. I'll never forget the day I was asked to tutor the star football player. It was the quarterback, which was funny, right? It sounded like an after-school special starting. The band president was tutoring the high school football player. You know, it started out like an after-school special. And, and so he came to my house, and this guy was so confident. I mean, he was just confident. He just oozed confidence. We band members did not have such confidence, you know. And so I was always being intrigued by that. And, and he came into my house, and he's sitting at my kitchen table, and, and he just looked nervous. He, he looked completely out of his element. And I thought, man, he's really intimidated by, by, by geometry. I thought maybe that's why he was so nervous. But I realized it was more than that. And I finally said, why are you so nervous, man? You, just seem, you seem weird. And, and he looked at me and he said, I've never been in a white person's house before. Never been in a white person's house before. And in that moment, I realized I don't think a black person had ever been in my house before that moment either. Our world was very small. Now, if you're new to North Park today, and this is the first time that you've ever been to North Park, we want you to feel welcome, and we want you to feel safe, and we want you to feel as comfortable as you possibly can. So on your first Sunday, we decided to talk about division, racism, hatred, political battles, and unrest. So um, welcome home. Welcome. <laughs> welcome home. Now, as soon as I started talking, some of you got really tense. You got really tight. Like you kind of, you know what I'm saying? You kind of drew up. And, and I want you to know, you don't have to worry here, okay, because this is a place where nobody's perfect, everybody's accepted, and we're all being changed by the Spirit of God. And we know how to talk about difficult things and do it in the right way, the right time, the right place, and the right spirit. And so whatever tension you feel when I start talking about things like this, we know how to talk about hard things in the right way so you can let the tension go. You don't need to worry about that today. Just let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Now, in John chapter 17, let's go to the Word. 
I, I like to kind of understand context of where I'm coming from. And, and I don't want to just like give you a verse of scripture. I want to like know what's happening in the context of this entire experience. And so if you back up a few chapters, you can kind of see a picture is being painted here. In John 13, Jesus washes disciples' feet. Um, he has the Last Supper with his disciples. Um, he talks to them about the promise of the Holy Spirit. He's setting them up in these final days that he's going to die, that he's going to be crucified, that he's going to rise again, and he's go, going to be with the Father. And so these last few moments that he has with the disciples are very important. And, and the things that he's saying to them, they're like holding on to every word. He's taking advantage of every opportunity to pour everything he can into them. And, and, and in John chapter 15, he gives this wonderful illustration about how he is the vine and we are the branches and we are grafted together. And, and basically, this is all just continuing to paint this picture that we are better together. That we can accomplish more on our, together than we ever can on our own. And the first week of this series, we talked about how we are better together as a church Last week, we brought a bunch of pastors together. If you missed last week, you got to go back to the podcast. That was fun. We had three different pastors on stage and talked about how in the body of Christ, we are better together as churches, that we can pastor our cities together. And so today, what I want you to see is despite the division and despite the issues that are happening in our city, in our state, in our world, we are better when we come together and we overcome anything that would divide us. We are better together. And so this is a prayer, actually, that Jesus prays in John chapter 17. And I love that we get a snapshot into this prayer. This is what Jesus says in verse 20. Jesus says, I am praying not only for these disciples, so not just for the disciples that are following me, not just for the disciples that I washed their feet, not just for the disciples that I shared the Lord's table with in that first communion, not just these disciples that we sat by the campfire with, not just these friends that I call my disciples, but every person that will believe in me. Look at that. But also for everyone who will ever believe in me through their message, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. And so it's crazy that in this moment, Jesus is not just praying for those disciples that are around him, he's praying for you. He's praying that the church in 2018 would be united as one just as he, the Son, is one with the Father. We talk a lot about the Trinity here. And we talk about the fact that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are three in one. And there is perfect peace and perfect unity. And so Jesus is saying, may they, may these followers, may these disciples be one as we are one, and then he basically says, because they are one, like the world will know that I sent them. I mean, how do, how do people know that we are his followers? We're, we're known by the love that we share. I mean, think about how, about how confusing it would be if, if we proclaim that we know the love of Jesus and we are followers of Jesus, but yet there's division among us. He said, people are going to know you're my disciples because you love each other and because you were one. Verse 22, he says, I have given them the glory that you gave me so they may be one as we are one. He says, I am in them 
and you are in me. May they experience such, I love these next two words, such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. But here's what I want you to see. While God wants us to be in perfect unity, He is not looking for us to be in uniformity. What that means is, is we can be united as one. We can be in perfect unity as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ in our world that we live in. No matter where you come from, no matter what you look like, no matter what your experiences have been, and no matter what your perspective is. We can be unified, we can be in unity, but not be in uniformity. He doesn't want us to be carbon copies of one another. He wants us to be like him, but he doesn't want you and I to be carbon copies of each other. But we are to stand unified as brothers and sisters in Jesus. But Jesus is basically saying exactly what we've been saying all these weeks, that we are better together. And how amazing is it that we can actually be the answer to a prayer that Jesus prayed? I mean, how cool is that to think that you and I, have the opportunity to fulfill the prayer that Jesus prayed in the city that we live in, in the state that we live in, and and the world. And so we've been asking a lot of questions as a church. How do we answer that prayer that Jesus prayed? We we talk a lot about the fact that God's called us here to, to pastor our city. But does that mean we pastor people that look just like us? Does that mean we we connect with people that it's just easy to connect with because our world is small and we kind of share the same likes and dislikes and the same experiences and and, and we kind of have the same perspective and it's kind of easier to just kind of be safe with the people that we are comfortable with. That's not what Jesus has called us to do. In fact, our church was built on a foundational principle that every soul matters to God and those souls will always matter to us even those who don't look just like we look we've been asking this question what does true diversity look like now I think we as a church have always wanted to be a diverse church but I think we're accomplishing that more than we've ever been able to accomplish it But I'm beginning to see that my understanding and my definition of diversity may not be the most accurate. I'm just being very real and very vulnerable with you today. When I think about the diversity as a church, kind of historically, my mind, if I had a snapshot, would be we're all in this place together, right? And, and, and we're worshiping, and we're singing, and hands are lifted, and the band is kicking it, and, and, and we're worshiping Jesus in one heart, one mind, one voice, but when you look at the congregation, like everybody just kind of looks different, right? Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, diversity. But here's what I'm learning, and I'm not there yet, okay? I'm not an expert. I'm not standing up here telling you I got it all figured out. I'm a student, and I'm inviting you into a conversation that I'm having with the Holy Spirit and a lot of other people. And what I'm learning is, is you can have a diverse crowd. You can have a diverse congregation. You can have a diverse church and not truly have diversity in that church, in that culture, in that crowd. And so I simply believe that, 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 that what people want when, when we pastor our city and when, when, when we walk in relationship with people, I think what people want is they want to be involved. I think they want to be included. And I think they want to be engaged. 
Diversity is about celebrating the fact that we are different and we're not going to ignore that and we're not going to push that aside and we're not most certainly going to punish people because of that diversity. I like what Miles McPherson said. He said diversity is not deficiency. Because oftentimes when, when we grew up in, in, a, in a small circle and our world is, is very small, we can almost look at people who don't look like we do or have the same experiences that we have or have the same perspective that we have. We can almost see them as that's a deficiency in their life. But it's not a deficiency. No, no, no. Difference is divine. That difference that we have in our lives, other people, that's divine. Why? Because God intended it that way. He created you the way that you are. He created me the way that we are. And so that difference isn't a deficiency. That difference is a divine nature of God. And so I pray that we as a church, that we as a community, as we as North Park, that we are an example of what true diversity and unity looks like in our city, in our state, and in our world. I like what Psalm 1 33 verse 1 says, it says how wonderful, how pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in harmony. Can you imagine the impact that we could have on our city and in our society if we could get this right? In a world that is so divided and, and in a world where there are so many polarizing topics and conversations, can you imagine the influence that we would have if we got this right? We, we could truly be light in the darkness of, of division, right? And you got to ask, where does it come from? That division that we feel, that division that exists in our society today, where does, where does that come from? And I'll, I'll tell you that the enemy is working so hard to divide us. And I and I know I know I know some of you, you you grew up in places and you grew up in times where where the enemy was a person. The enemy was was the people who lived in that part of town, or the the enemy was that group of people. And for some reason that was embedded in you, and and, and there's something inside of you that looks at people as the enemy. But the word says your enemy is not flesh and blood. There's nobody on the planet that's your enemy. The Bible says that your enemy is the rulers and principalities of darkness. And, and the enemy, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. And one of the ways that he's doing that, a huge way that he's doing that in our culture, is he's doing that through division. He's dividing us. Because these issues keep popping up. And what he forces us to do is to pick a side. You have to pick a side. You have to choose. You either stand on this side or you stand on this side. Now, let me just tell you, I don't represent anybody today. I'm not speaking for anybody. I'm not, I'm not speaking for anybody but, but, but myself. I'm not telling you anybody else feels this way. I'm only speaking from my personal experience. But it feels like today more than ever that the enemy is forcing us to pick a side and there's tension that exists. Just in this past year, like you, you have these two big things that, 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 that really happened. You've, you've got the Black Lives Matter movement, and we also have athletes kneeling during the national anthem. Let me just kind of show you how this kind of surfaces in my mind. This is the tension that I feel, okay? This is the tension that I feel has been created that I've, that I've, that I've experienced. 
If you kneel during the national anthem, if you're on the other side of that, then you're labeled as a person who hates America. You're forced to choose. Now, if you say anything against those who kneel and you're on that side, then you label everybody else, or you, if you say anything about it, then you're labeled as, as a white supremacist or, or a racist. Does that make sense? It's like there's two sides and, and you have to choose. And then there's this idea if you support Black Lives Matter, then, then, then you're kind of thumbing your nose at the police who protect and serve us. But if you stand with the blue, right, if you stand with the police force, then, then, you, must, then you must hate black people. And that's the tension that's created because the enemy forces you to choose. I refuse to choose either side because I don't like any of those options. I believe there's a third option, and that third option is Jesus. I don't know why everything in our society has to be or, but. I don't know why it can't be and. Why can't we say, you know what, black lives do matter, and their voice matters, and we also support the law enforcement of our community that protects and serves. Why is it either or? Why is there not a third option? Why can't we say we love our nation, we love it, and we recognize there's some, some imperfections and there needs to be some improvement, maybe we need to come together and sit down and have a conversation. Like, why does there have to be just two options? Why can't there be a third I often say that there's safety between two extremes, and it seems as if our culture lives in extremes. And, and I, I believe that Jesus is outside the line saying, hey, we can come together if we can have a discussion about it. Where's the tension come from? Where's the division come from? I believe it comes from hell itself. It is not of God. I, I, I prayed over the first service this morning that if there's anything inside of us, that causes us to look differently at another group of people or another person because they don't look like us or they don't sound like us or they don't come from the same place that we come from, they don't see the world the way that we see it, then we don't just need to push that aside. We don't need to just try to leave that in our past. We don't need to just try to get over that. You know what we need to do? We need to repent over that because it's sin. If there's anything that's getting in the way of us linking arms and standing hand in hand with people, our brothers and sisters, and being the answer to Jesus' prayer, living in perfect unity, if there's anything that's keeping us from doing that, it's sinful and we need to repent of it. We don't need to just push it aside. We don't need to just try to leave it in our past. We need to repent of that. I read this great thing from Miles McPherson, and I'm not a scientist, so I don't even know how true this data is, but this, I love what he says. He says like 99% of our DNA, no matter what your race, we're the same. Like 99% of our DNA, we are exactly the same. But I love this part. But 100% of that DNA is made in the image of God. Doesn't matter what causes us to be different. We are 100% made in the image of God. So if I'm made in the image of God and you're made in the image of God, then how on earth can my image of God be superior to your image of God? How can your image of God be superior to my image of God? So how do we 
overcome that division. I started by telling you that when I grew up, my world was small. My circle was small. So I think what we have to do is we have to very intentionally, that's a very important word, we have to very intentionally, it is not going to happen by accident. We have to intentionally push back the walls of our circle to make it bigger and invite people into that circle. And I think there's two powerful words that help us do that. Here they are. We've heard them a lot lately in a different context, but I think they apply here. Here's the words. Me too. Me too. There's something powerful that brings us together when we recognize we have shared experience. You know what? We've got some stuff that may separate us. There may be some differences, absolutely, but I believe we have a lot more in common than we have differences. And we go through the same struggles. Me too. You got some stuff to overcome in your family and your marriage? Yeah, me too. You got some stuff to overcome on your job? Yeah, me too. You, you got fears, you got doubts, you, 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 got, you got temptation that you do. Yes, me too, we do. We have those same shared experiences. And I'm convinced that unity and love begin with shared experiences. You have to walk in your brother's experience and you have to share in your sister's pain. That's where it begins. We had a conversation recently and, and it was such a healthy conversation. We brought some people in together and we sat down at a table and we shared a meal and we just had like North Park does, just a real good, honest, safe conversation. And I don't know about anybody else in the room, but I learned so much. And I basically invited people to a table like this and said, help me, help me understand Help me see things from your perspective. Help me see things in a way that I've never seen it before. And, and Miss Lottie, who's in the room, she's, she's kind of become like church mom, right? We just all look at Miss Lottie. She's like church mom, and, and, and we love her so much. And, and when that woman opens her mouth, you need to shut up because you, she's about to teach you something, right? And, and, and that's Miss Lottie. Miss Lottie taught us that we don't just say love. We what? We do love, right? It's action. And, and she said two things in that, in that meeting that I just wrote down, and I thought, this is it. This is how we do it. Diversity starts in my heart. Diversity starts in my heart. Diversity doesn't just start in a room like this. Uh, unity doesn't start in a room like this. It doesn't stand in some place like holding a sign, although all of those things are important and they have their place. I just need you to know, unity, love, and diversity start right here in your heart. That's why Jesus said, when they asked him, what's the greatest commandment? What did he say? Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart. All your heart. But then he didn't stop. He said, and here's what I want you to do. Now that you love me with all your heart, take that same heart, and I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. Not just a, He didn't say, hey, all those people in your little small world, that little small circle you live in, love all those people like yourself. That's not what he said. He said you love people as you love yourself, not just those people that have your same experience and perspective. Diversity, unity, it's the spirit of who we are. But here's the second thing I learned that night, that diversity starts in my home. Starts in my home. Diversity starts in my home. I'll never forget, I was working with a, a gentleman when I was in high school, and, and, and he, he, was, he was a, a black guy, and, and I'm a white guy, and he was waiting for a ride to take him home, and they didn't come to pick him up, so he's just kind of sitting there. I was like, man, I'll, I'll take you home. It's, I mean, we live in Plymouth. Nothing is out of the way, right? So just, I'll take you home. And he was like, no, 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 that's fine. I'll, I'll just walk. It's like, it's like 
a thousand degrees. You're not going to walk in the car. And so he gets in the car and, and, and we start toward his house and, and we get into the neighborhood that he lives in. And, and now it, it was, it was a very racially tense time. It, it was a very relation, ra- racially tense town. And, and we got about three or four blocks from his house and, and he said, you can stop here. I'll walk the rest of the way. It's like, why would we do that? We're not there yet. Like, just let me take you to your house. He said, no, 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 no. Just stop the car right here. I'm going to get out and walk home. And I said, why are you doing that? He said, I'm doing it for me, and I'm doing it for you. So let's just do it this way. Now, again, he was doing that to protect me. He was doing that to protect himself. All right? But here's, here's what, what I, I thought about when I, when I was reflecting over that this week. Like, there are people in our life that, that we'll work with and we'll go to church with and we may do this with them, and we may do that with them. We'll have a conversation with them, but we only take it so far. We take it as far as we're comfortable, and then we'll say, all right, all right, we're going to walk the rest of the way. We've taken it as far as we feel comfortable taking it, but if we take it any more from here, it's going to be very uncomfortable for us. And we're not willing to take it all the way home, right? Unity, love, diversity, it starts in our, our home. I, I was talking to a friend, and I love what he said. He, 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 we were, I was just thinking, like, how do you know if your circle's too small? How do you know if you're doing this? Because in a lot of ways, I think I am. In a lot of ways, I, I don't even realize I'm not. You know what I'm saying? And some of us, we, we think we've got this together. We've got to figure out this is an issue, right? But, but when you start really doing some very serious inventory, you realize we've got a lot of distance to travel here. And he looked at me and he said, I can, I can tell you my circle was too small. He said, because before I came to North Park, I had no white people contacts in my phone. Like nobody. Like every contact in my phone was, was black. And he said, and now that I've been at North Park and, and now that I'm walking in relationship with other people, my circle has gotten bigger. My word's not his. He said, my circle has gotten bigger. And he said, now i got all kinds of contacts in my phone. My, my contact list is very diverse. And I started, I'm writing, I'm sitting at, at a coffee shop, and I'm, I'm sitting at a table like this, and I'm typing, and, and I literally wrote, I wrote these words, how do I know if my circle is too small? And I looked up, and I looked around the room, and there was about 30 people in that coffee shop, and they were all white. And I thought, here I am again, my circle is small. And I, I grabbed my phone and I went to my podcast because I like to listen to stuff, right? Now, what do you listen to? You listen to things that you want people to have influence in your life. I mean, that's the kind of stuff when you go to a podcast, I mean, you're inviting somebody to have influence over your life. And so I had pastors in my contacts, have comedians because I like good dad jokes. I got some sports stuff in there, you know. And, and I started looking. And, and everything in my podcast, that entire list, was white pastors. I, I'm just being honest. I'm being real. I'm being vulnerable. As much as I try to be intentional, I realize at times my world is so small. I, I went to my Instagram feed and I realized outside of some people that are in our church and some athletes that I like to follow, my Instagram feed looked really white and looked very diverse. So you know what I've done? I've taken it, I've taken it far as I can and, 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 and I stopped there. Do you know what I'm saying? So, man, I just started searching out pastors, some I knew, some I didn't know. I want to start listening to them and giving them influence in my life. Started following people on Instagram. What am I doing? I want to be intentional about pushing the walls back in my life and invite people into my life. And we've got to do that intentionally. 
one of the funniest things I've heard lately just made me laugh. One of the conversations that we were having, um, a lady in our church, she said, I'm just going to be honest. She said, when I came to your church, I didn't know the songs y'all were singing. She said, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't listen to a lot of that stuff. She said, so I had to go to, I had to go to Spotify and follow Chris Tomlin just so I knew the songs y'all were singing on Sunday. And I laughed because we were all like, we don't listen to Chris Tomlin. <laughs> so what was she doing? She's pushing back the walls. She's pushing back the walls, being intentional, pushing back the walls, saying, I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to understand. I want to have shared experiences. I want to walk this journey with you, and I want to do it intentionally. One of the things that, that's helped me more than anything is being very conscious to invite people to the table that don't have the same experience or background or perspective that I do. And I try to sit with those people on a regular basis and have a meal and have a conversation. But here's what I do. And I have to do this very intentionally. I have to come to the table and say, you know what? I am not coming to the table to be understood. I am not coming to express my opinion and help them to see the world through my eyes and my perspective to change their mind if their opinion's different from mine. No, no, no. I come to the table because I want to understand them. I come to the table first to understand, then be understood. And when you do that, when you intentionally push the walls back in your life, what happens? You learn. You grow. You walk in relationships with people. You didn't have relationships before. And all of a sudden, you begin to see we really are better together. We talk about this a lot in our staff meetings and in our lead team meetings. We want to be intentional. We want to get this right. Live in perfect unity. And I love what Stephanie says often when we have those scenarios and those situations and conversations, rather, and, and she says these words, people want to be seen uniquely, but treated equally. Seen uniquely, but treated equally. And one of those heart-to-hearts that I was having with a friend, I just said, hey, if you ever hear anything come out of my mouth, I need you to know my heart. I need you to know my heart, and, and I want you to love me enough to speak up. I want you to help me. I want you to help me to grow. I want you to help me learn. And I hadn't said this to her. She just offered it as, a, as, 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 as advice. But she said, just whatever you do, don't say you don't, don't, say you don't see color. And I kind of sat back on my heel because I didn't say it to her, but I probably have said it at some point along the journey, right? And so I just kind of leaned in, and I was like, what do you mean? Tell me more. And she said, see, when you say you don't see color, what, you, what you're saying is, is you don't see me. You don't acknowledge the fact that we're different. And again, seen uniquely but treated equally. Miles McPherson, who was an incredible pastor, and, and he's just, I respect him so much. And, and he said he had a guy come to him recently and say, hey, I, I don't see color. And, and Pastor Miles McPherson looked at him and said, what, you colorblind? <laughs> he said, that's sad, you're colorblind. And, 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 and what he's saying is, I don't want you to, I, I want you to see me. Like to say you don't see color means you don't see me. I want you to see me as unique. I just want you to treat me equally. Now, how would you know that if you didn't sit down and have a conversation? How would you know that unless you come to the table to seek to understand before you're understood? How would you know that until you begin to intentionally push back the walls in your life and allow somebody to speak into your life and influence you? We started our year, and we talked about some of the division that was happening. I don't know if you remember, but we brought everybody forward, and we stood, and we prayed for unity in our city. And I remember saying in that setting, I don't have the answer to all this stuff. And I said, all that I know that we can do is pray, love, 
reach, and repeat. Pray, love, reach, repeat. And, and that wasn't intentional. Like, I didn't come up with that. It wasn't like, hey, I'm going to strategically drop this little nugget in this prayer so it's cute. I just That was just coming out of my heart on the fly. We were at small group that night, and, and Jarrell looked at me, and he said, man, out of everything you said in service today, that pray, love, reach, repeat, I didn't even remember really saying it. He said, that was like the best thing you said. That should be on a T-shirt. It's on a T-shirt today, <laughs> you know, because we realized that, that the Lord was really speaking to us as a church in our city that that really is the answer, that we pray, we seek his face, that we love God, we love others as ourselves, that we reach out to people, we reach outside of our little small circle, and we just repeat. We just keep doing that. We do that here. We do that in our neighborhood. We do that in our homes. We do that in our jobs. We do that in the community. We do it every chance we get. We just pray. We love. We reach. Repeat. I'll be honest. In the first service, I had a lot of people that just kind of stared at me. And then occasionally I'd get this really overwhelming response. It was moving a couple times.